Welcome to The Table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Um, Happy Easter. I don't know if we've said that yet. Happy Easter. Um, So I don't know if you know this, but it's a very strange thing what we're doing here. It's a very strange thing that we all celebrate an event together that took place two millennia ago. It's strange because we live in a very different world than the world of our ancestors in the faith. For most of Christian history, people have been obsessed with two things that don't particularly concern us at all anymore. We're not obsessed by these things. At first, they were obsessed by the past. They took for granted that the the most significant events in the world had already happened, (laughs) that the Greek and Roman classical period was the summit of human achievement in general, and that the manifestation of Jesus Christ in particular was the definitive moment in history. Do you think we think that Jesus is the definitive moment in history? And alongside that, they were also obsessed about the future. They knew that that heaven and hell lasted forever, and, and that they, they really didn't know which, where they were going, but there was nothing they cared more about than that, where they were going. And they organized their entire lives and whole society around making sure they got to the right one of those places, heaven and hell. Today we're different, right? Would you say we're a bit different? Um, we aren't obsessed with the past anymore. <laughs> uh, we, we can't believe people in the distant past ever knew better than us. When things go wrong in international affairs or, or, or the government, we scratch our heads and think surely we've progressed beyond such mistakes and such setbacks. We no longer see history as this, um, this incline heading downward from the, the classical era, but as this incline heading upward and us being like the point at the top, right? We're obsessed. We're not obsessed with the future either. Democracy has become so much a part of our psyche that we, we assume everyone must go to heaven and it's in some you know, vague sense a part of our, our citizen rights under the First Amendment of the Constitution, of course, heaven. We all get in, right? And heaven is very much like us, right? It's going to be just like how we want it to be. 
instead of being obsessed with the past and instead of being obsessed with the pr the future, we are a people so obsessed with the present. We no longer think heaven is lost and gone and, and only partially to be recovered or, or as far off and only dimly to be imagined. We think of heaven as a project to be realized, some kind of commodity to be acquired the same way we acquire any commodity, right? Like through discovery and negotiation and purchase. If I could just negotiate my way into heaven, if I could just purchase my way into heaven. Has anybody moved recently? Anybody got a new house, moved to a different house recently? If you've moved, yes. Okay, I see. If you move, you know about these commodities, these basic things you know you've got to set up when you move from place to place or unset up when you're moving out. Um, these commodities like, like a telephone, for instance. But what does a telephone do? It, it makes the distant present to us. We've got to have a telephone. Television, got to get our cable set up or our streaming service set up. We've got to get our television set up. Uh, why? Because it makes the world present to us. We've got very full medicine cabinets, right? Because we no longer rely just on doctors and hospitals and going to the doctor. We've got a whole hospital, a whole set of medicine present to us in our home. Piece by piece, you surround yourself with everything that you need so that the past is present through photographs and memories and, and uncertain future is managed through insurance policies and, and, and you know financial advisors. And this obsession, this obsession with the present, and this obsession with the present, I, I think, is why we find the question of God, the question today that we're here for, the question of God so problematic in our era. We work so hard to have life at our fingertips with our, with our streaming and our cell phone and and we're bewildered to find we can't have God at our fingertips. God remains elusive. God can't be turned into a commodity, just another way of, of bringing the mysterious past and, and the fearful future into our manageable present. Of course, all kinds of, you know, people who write books that you find in airports and televangelists and self-help manuals do turn God into a gadget, right? a commodity that we can use as a bit of technology to acquire the goods we want from God. But we don't really trust such trite promises. Even so, we still struggle with the apparent absence of God in a world that values presence so highly. We struggle with the questions of suffering and, and evil because we demand that God be present to us in our times of confusion and despair. And we struggle with the place Christianity alongside other faiths in the world because we, we can't see how God can be present there if, if he is supposed to be present here. And our, our democratic impulse says God must, of course, be evenly spread, right? Like some kind of divine peanut butter. And we struggle with the proofs of God's existence because we want something knocked down and concrete that stops all of this mysterious and elusive nonsense and brings God squarely into our manageable experience now. Which brings us to the story at hand today. Marcos read for us the Luke story, which is the common story to read. 
Um, there's also John's version of this story, which is even longer than Luke's, gives more detail. Um, but I want to talk about a story we never read at Easter, the version of the story that, that you, you wouldn't hear read here. It's just not a part of what the church does as far as the main scriptures we read at Easter. And that's Mark's version of the story. It's actually the oldest version of the story. I commended to you to go read it today. Go read it. It's also the shortest version of the story. There is, there's no undisputable evidence of the resurrection in it. There is no straightforward account of what difference the resurrection makes to the world's history. There is no account of how the, the word got out to the disciples and, and let alone the whole wide world because it says the women remain silent in that story. Maybe that's why I don't like to read it. Um, and worst of all, there is no account of an appearance of the risen Jesus. There... Small wonder that, that later editors added on to Mark's account. The details that we crave in the story. Details which in most Bibles appear in parentheses, actually, at the end of Mark's gospel. So I want to suggest to you that Mark's short account, these just eight verses, half of which are in parentheses, gives us everything we need to know about the resurrection of Jesus. Not everything we want to know but everything we need to know. Because we want to know a host of details, right? We want to know a host of details about this story. Um, but not everything we want to know about the resurrection is here. It's only what we need to know. And so there are a few things that happen here. Um, the three faithful women come to the tomb early in the morning on the first day of the week, and they find the stone rolled away. And they see a young man in a white robe, and he says three things to them. The first thing he says is about their past. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, aren't you? Who was crucified, he has been raised. He is not here. This is telling them everything they need to know about the past. He, he has been raised. Of course, they have a host of questions. How can this be? And, and, and was he really dead? And is this his risen body the same as an earthly body? And does this, does this mean we shall be raised in the same way as him? And will he forgive those of us who put him to death? And, and is there anything that is impossible with God? But, but there is only one question it seems they need to know the answer to. Is this a physical resurrection or a spiritual one? And the answer is a, a physical one. The young man says he is not here, look, there is, there is, there's the place where he was laid. And so this is everything we need to know about the past of what happened that day. Jesus was raised, not as a ghost, not as a spirit, not as a metaphor or some idea, but actually as a body. And then the second thing, um, the young man tells the women about the present. He's going ahead of you into, into Galilee. And this is telling them everything they need to know about the present. Jesus' resurrection is not a finished thing, it, a completed historical event with no further implications for your life. Jesus is doing something now, right here in this place. He's going ahead. He, he, he's on the move. And the place that he is going is Galilee. It's not just that Jesus has opened the way into heaven, some whatever heaven means. He's going to Galilee. You know Galilee. The news about the past told the women that Jesus had changed everything they took for granted about cause and effect and the disaster of the cross and the tragedy of their own failure. And now the news from the present 
The news from the present told them that Jesus was affecting that change in, in, in their very homes and their very habitats among those they, they knew best and around those who lived far more than the, the, the dramatic stage of Jerusalem. This is everything we need to know about the present. Jesus is now on the move. And then the third thing that the young man tells the, the women is about the future. There you will see him. The young man tells the women everything they need to know about the future. Jesus' resurrection changes, not just the way things you thought you knew about reality, including the places and people you thought you knew best. Jesus' resurrection is going to transform, it's going to transform you. It's going to transform you. This is the last word. And so we, we have to assume there, there you will see him is all we need to know about the future. We shall be in Jesus's company, presumably forever then. And you have to admire this like very short Marx style, although I made that much more lengthy to tell you about it, right? Um, but surely, you know, surely he knew more things about this story than these three things. Surely he had a longer story to tell. At least the women must have told someone or the story would never have reached Mark, but Mark doesn't tell us everything he knows. He just tells us everything we need to know. He doesn't tell us enough to make the resurrection of Jesus just another like streaming service for us, just another device for giving us the world at our fingertips and bringing all of human experience into our living room. He, we can't domesticate the gospel. We, we'd, we'd love to have explicit details and biology and physics and chemistry about all of this. We'd love to have the full color package, but Mark withholds all of that. But look what he does give us. He does tell us the vital information about the past. Jesus is risen. The vital information about the future, we shall see him. And the vital information about our present right now, we are on our way from this place of resurrection to the gates of glory. What more do we need? They give us the, the gospel. Jesus is risen. They give us our hope. We shall see him again. That's Easter. That's, that is the Christian faith. I think that, I think that today, it's everything we need to know. It may not be everything we want, but I believe it is enough. Would you pray with me? God of our past, God of our future, God of our present. God, we give thanks for every way in our past that we have seen the living God at work in our lives. Even if we're not really sure what we think about this and what I just said or this space or church in general, God, we may be able to think back to some moment in our past where some person of faith spoke into our lives, showed us Jesus, showed us God in a way that we can't really explain even in our, in our, our, our skepticism now. God of our past, thank you for showing us the living God, for showing up with life when we were in the midst of death. And God of our future, God, whether or not we believe in heaven, we all surely have a lot of wonders. We wonder so much about what is to come. 
Some of us more than others. Some of us are so full. Life is so full right now that we have not even begun to think about, about death. Others of us have known well what it's like to think about death. What it's like to think about our future. And God, we thank you for showing up however you do there. For showing us a glimpse of the living God beyond what we see now. Because God, we so long to, to see more than what we see now. There must be something beyond this. There must be hope and good news for the future. And God of our present, whether we are squarely in Easter Sunday and have joy that abounds or whether we are still just stuck in Good Friday. God, you make room for us where we are and that's what the living God does right here in the present. You make room for wherever we are, whether we're stuck in Good Friday, whether we are finding ourselves in the, in the pit of depression, we're going through a horrible divorce, whether we are battling an illness, whatever it is, God. You give us life you show us a glimpse of Easter by being present with us where we are. So thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. We pray that prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Yeah.